You're listening to the Quince podcast. From being the first speaker at the 76th UN General Assembly to holding meetings with CEOs of US companies and scheduled bilateral discussions, Prime Minister Narendra Modi's 3-day US visit is jam-packed. However, this visit also comes in the backdrop of an array of geopolitical developments from the fallout of Afghanistan to the recent strategic alignments between the US and Australia and the uncertainties revolving around the pandemic. Pertinent to this visit will be the first in-person leaders meeting of the Quad, an alliance between India, US, Australia and Japan. The group, which has only met sporadically since it was formed in 2007, is officially committed to a shared vision of a quote-unquote Indo-Pacific region that is free, open, resilient and inclusive by strengthening its relations on supply chain, communications, technology and climate change projects. But its recent revival in 2017 and again in 2021 is seen largely due to the growing assertion of China in the Indo-Pacific region and that all four countries have their respective motivations to dilute China's military presence in the region. And now given the geopolitics political flux in the region with the fallout in Afghanistan and India's sour relations with China post the Galwan Valley clashes of 2020 what is expected out of the Quad summit and what role can India play in it to analyze all of this for today's episode we spoke to a journalist and visiting fellow at the Observer Research Foundation ORF Akshob Giridharadas and Manoj Joshi a distinguished fellow at ORF Get tuned in to the big story, the podcast where we dissect the headline-making news for you, and I'm your host, Imad. As Prime Minister Narendra Modi lands in the US, his visit carries a lot of security and strategic importance with it, given the geopolitical tensions India has been submerged in for the past year. Now the highlight of the US visit is a meeting of the leaders of the four quad countries US, India, Japan and Australia. And it is safe to say that the group has made very slow progress since its manifestation in 2007 when the four countries last met briefly but then went on a decade long hiatus to 2017 when the Donald Trump administration revived it. In March this year the leaders of the group met for the first time virtually and agreed on a shared vision of rules based Indo-Pacific region that is free, open, resilient and inclusive. Now, officially Quad was initiated to deepen strategic alliance between the four member countries and safeguard joint security interests. So, what is expected to be some of the topics on the Quad summit agenda? Akshob Giridharadas Vaisen. If you think about it in the last year alone, you you first saw uh, you know a naval exercises the first in Kenya's then you've seen um you know foreign minister level meeting you saw the virtual summit happen around february march uh here in washington dc the three ambassadors australia japan and india along with kurt campbell met and now we've have a first in person summit during the pandemic so it's clearly a priority um and by the g7 also came up with a build back better world b3w and what is the indo pacific and the b3w saying it's telling china we see your bri the belt and road initiative and to use a poker analogy we raise you the indo pacific right and this quad has escalated from just you know routine military drills and anodyne homilies of you know free and open indo pacific to some concrete measures of core working groups right so uh, the the core working groups that i see are three or four priorities right on one hand vaccine diplomacy is really taken off on full swing because don't forget um india is one of the largest pharmaceutical manufacturers 60% of the world's pharmaceuticals are made in india uh, india has scientific technical know-how uh, and uh, of course uh, india uh, before the second wave with its vaccine maitri program 
did a, a tremendous job of being able to export cheap, affordable, and uh, efficient vaccines uh, to the global south, whereas other parties in the global north eschewed from it. So it's us earning its soft power credentials and its pharmaceutical credentials. And this way, countries like China as well were a little more derelict. Uh, though you know the World Health Organization, of course, their vaccine rollout were delayed. So you had other parties like the World Bank stepping in. Now, so, and of course, two of the four core members, US and India, unfortunately, are, are suffering for the most number of COVID cases by virtue of the size and the populations. So it becomes, it behooves on them. Uh, of course, the United States with its largest uh, pharmaceutical, some of the large pharmaceutical manufacturing, but perhaps with Pfizer and uh, Johnson & Johnson and Moderna, along with India's ability to also export uh, cheap vaccines with the Serum Institute of India, with Australia and Japan's logistic capabilities. The Quad Working Group can really be something robust. The second part, of course, I see is the climate change working group because India, of course, like the US and the others are signatories to the Paris Climate Accord of 2015. Uh, the Trump administration had pulled out of it. But uh, that's come back as a priority for the Biden administration, clearly, uh, with the appointment of John Kerry, the former Secretary of State, as the climate envoy or climate czar. And, you know, John Kerry was in India recently, as you know, and met uh, Minister Yadikar, Minister uh, Jashankar, and, of course, um, PM Modi. And both India and the United States are doing a lot of work on green energy and uh, look, cut, looking to cut down on emissions and building up sustainability. So there's also the priority that all four parties are really looking at climate change as a priority. And last but not least, what's really important um, is uh, resilient supply chains, right? Because don't forget what the pandemic has shown is the pandemic has disrupted supply chains in ways that will take ways to rebuild. And furthermore, with COVID, what you really saw is you need to have what I call supply chain insurance. Everyone had put stuff already in, um, everyone had just prioritized everything with, in the China basket. So when that happened and when things were disrupted in China, what do you think happened? It just put everything back by a lot. So many countries now are requiring to re realign their supply chains. Even Japan, for example, right? Uh, what did uh, then Prime Minister Abe uh, say that, you know, they were giving incentive to Japanese companies, $2 billion worth across many Japanese companies, not produce in Japan, but just to get out of China. But, you know, and we're talking about leading uh, Japanese automakers and technological companies as well, just to electronics companies, just to kind of go and manufacture in other places, create robust supply chains. And of course, this ties into the notion of trade, like the Indo-Pacific is uh, one of the hotbed of trade regions, or the ASEAN economy by 2013 is going to be the third or fourth largest economy, the estimates are in order. So building a robust trade along those, is this is what I see the priority for the Quad Summit, to now galvanize on some of these working groups and now set the agenda forward. And plus, realign the vision of a free and open Indo-Pacific with all Tokyo, Canberra, Delhi and Washington share. So far, the brunt of India's contribution to the Quad has only been in terms of pandemic response, with the group agreeing when it met virtually in March on a joint vaccine initiative, with India being the factory for producing vaccines for the region. But the production of these vaccines had to be put on hold, since India had to halt all vaccine exports to inoculate its own vulnerable population in the midst of the deadly second wave. According to Manoj Joshi, India's role at the time being may be restricted to being the pharmacy for the group, and its economy will have to step up to participate in any other capacity asked to make any specific contribution but yes in the march meeting uh, india was seen as the possible hub of uh, pro providing vaccines in the region and india was not able to meet that challenge because it had overestimated its capacity uh, capability and india itself had very great difficulty in, uh, in even now it's having difficulty in providing vaccines for all its people 
So um, we were not able to meet up to the responsibility that the Quad thought that we would be able to assume because we kept on saying that we are the world's biggest manufacturer of vaccines. But when the Quad countries asked us to step up, we were not able to do so. So um, I'm not so sure uh, beyond that uh, what is there. However, Akshab Giritaradas says given the investment capacity that India has to offer to the rest of the member countries in terms of both economic and defence, India has a lot to offer as the world comes out of the pandemic. So India's contribution to the Quad is a lot of ways. India's contribution to the Quad has been strengthening uh, it's not just a bilateral partnership with these countries, but increasing in a more multilateral form of way. India as not being a treaty ally, always long preferred just bilateral agreements. We've seen India's hesitancy in the past on multilateral trade pacts. We've seen India as part of RCEP, but pulled out of it at the last minute because it did not benefit India's strategic interests. Uh, the, the Quad grouping can see more in increased enhanced trade, which benefits India's economy. And India, of course, has a lot to offer the world as well uh, in terms of, um, you know, in terms of its, uh, uh, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a very, very, attractive market for American investments, for Japanese investments, for Australian investments. Don't forget, the Quad can in some ways even look like a NAFTA in time on, like you had the North American Free Trade Association, but in US, uh, Mexico, and Canada, you may say, okay, that's not a Quad because we're going to set up militarily, militarily, of course. But uh, what the Quad has done is also, uh, so what NAFTA did at that time was create more economic engagement between the three North American parties. And, and one would say that, look, there was an asymmetry of economic power between um, the US and Mexico, but a lot of Mexican nationals benefit from what's called the transnational visa and the ability to work in the United States. Uh, if there was such a sort of grouping that if the Quad can come up with some sort of economic incentive, uh, you know, the way ASEAN has done, you know, with ASEAN, the ASEAN passport and uh, free and open borders with ASEAN countries, if, if at all India could get to that such stage, it looked it look very idealistic, but if the Quad can get to that stage, who's to say that, you know, India can't benefit obviously from three very, uh, robust uh, economies in Australia, Japan, and the United States. And, the, and similarly, their company is getting easier access to Indian markets. One of the things that we spoke about right now, while India and the US don't have a free trade agreement and are trying for mini trade deals, is, you know, uh, Minister Goyal has spoken with USTR, uh, you know, Catherine Tai about uh, increasing market access uh, to uh, for India, for Indian goods and services. So that's all very important to India's context right now. Of, you know, of of trade with India based on market access as well. So within the Quad grouping, if trade can, you know, trade is obviously a very sensitive issue for many countries. And don't forget, trade is one aspect where no matter how good friends you are, you can buy submarines from each other, but still argue over soybeans. The US and Canada have taken each two of the closest allies and two, two countries that share a very strong bond homie have taken each other to WTO many times over disagreements over lumber. And 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 because trade is something where countries obviously look very poorly at the inward interest, have to be very protection from the economy, but still very essential to normalizing relations. So if we can iron out some of the many trade deals within Quad, that's a success itself. But there's another crucial point to note: China. Interestingly, while none of the member countries have openly identified China as the reason for its participation in the group, all of them have their own respective motivations to curb its growth, especially India, where relations with China reached a tipping point in 2020 with the violent clashes in Kalwan Valley. But actions by the US in the past few years, from tariffs being slapped on China for its hardline economic policies to labelling it as a quote-unquote adversary in its own security reports. The US has tried to show its allies that it is committed to engaging with them in the Indo-Pacific region. But even as all four countries deepen their partnerships towards a quote-unquote free and open Indo-Pacific, will it be enough to curb China's raising assertiveness throughout the region? 
Akshub agrees that some of the group's actions do suggest an anti-China in nature, but given the strategic nature of Quad, it gives every country an opportunity to grow economically and strategically, taking them away from the China threat. The way uh, a former Indian diplomat explained this to me very nicely was, um, India in the Quad prevents it from looking anti-China the way India in the BRICS prevents it from looking like anti-United States. Of course, BRICS having China and Russia, some of the antagonistic posts, and the Quad obviously being largely led by the United States. And I thought that's a very profound way of looking at it because that also shows where India sort of has a, not a sense of pusillanimity that we've seen in the past, but a sense of foreign policy that's you know driven by its own interest, driven by a sense of non-strategy uh, ally, strategic autonomy, strategic partners, uh, will respect rules-based international order. Because don't forget, even India in its weakest form uh, post-independence shows a path of non-alignment instead of modeling coddling with one or two great powers. People always forget that. People always think about India closer to the Soviet Union until the 1990s. Uh, no, India under Nehru chose non-alignment uh, because India firmly believed at that point that it didn't want to trade one set of Western faces. That was a British East India company after 190 years of colonial rule for another set of Western faces that was American consumer companies coming in and the Overton window was very much towards socialism at that point. But let's, uh, but just to come back here, I don't think the Quad particularly says it as anti-China. Of course, uh, China sees it anti-China. And I think if you read between the lines, to an extent, one could also say, look, uh, there is, is this a great way of playing a game of talking about everything in the world but China? There is obviously, if you read between the lines, you can pick that up, there's no doubt. But I think it's China's actions have metamorphosized and given the quad structure and given it impetus. However, I think because the quad has also chosen a constructive path forward, uh, as he's spoken about on these three fronts. And I think going forward, given that you're going to see more quad level summits, uh, I myself know of Indian diplomats in other parts of the world where they meet their counterparts in Australia and Japan and the United States and have quad level mini meetings. Uh, and it will be a constructive engagement. It will be technological sharing. It will be, uh, you know, economic investments right now. As we know, India, of course, needs to grow at, uh, you know, create 12 million jobs a year. Uh, India's close to $3 trillion economy needs to hit $5 trillion. Uh, India can benefit of Japanese technological investments. India, of course, is um, a big importer, in, uh, you know, in Australia, you know, and is energy dependent. And Australia is, of course, one of the largest commodity providers in the world. There's also the notion of, you know, India also getting more from Australia as well. And so there might be a different sort of a pact of sharing. And don't forget, the Quad is not just about a military drill. They have military exercises, but that's always India and the United States have done Malabar exercise in the past, even or a Quad aside. Of course, there is also the China element. If you think about what do all four have in common, apart from being four democracies, uh, four vibrant democracies, I might add, all four of them have been at Beijing's crosshairs. Uh, if you look at it, the fact that, you know, Beijing and Tokyo had issues with Senkaku Islands and the Daiyu Islands in the East China Sea, and of course, other historical issues, uh, Canberra and Beijing ties have really hit Nadir after PM Scott Morrison called for an in independent investigation into the source of the virus from Wuhan. You know, even though New Delhi and Beijing had the Doklam standoff that was reset with the meetings in Wuhan and Mamalapuram. But of course, we know about the Galwan Ladakh clashes, which of course exacerbated uh, tensions to a level that we haven't seen before because there had been no deaths on uh, the border before between the PLA and the Indian troops. But now it's got to a point where there's still a tense standoff. And uh, even though India and China continue to trade, uh, in relations with China have not been as bad as what relations with Pakistan have been. However, there is still that, uh, that, that lack of understanding China's perspective. Because what I want to say fundamentally is there's a fundamental shift over the way China is. The Deng Xiaoping China had a credo of hide your strength and bide your time 
Whereas Xi Jinping China is like, we're done hiding. It's iron hand, no velvet glove. It's a sense of pugnaciousness. And that has gotten a lot of parties riled up. And ergo, there is a method in the madness of the Quad coming together the way it's come together. However, I don't think the Quad's notion is let's work towards a dissolution of any one party or or curb them in any ways. Whereas NATO, apart from being protecting against the Iron Curtain, as Winston Churchill would call it, but in a lot of ways, the dissolution of the Soviet Union was a, a sense of euphoria of how the, the Western powers won, how the capitalism block survived. It required a zero-sum game. Um, I don't think the Quad is based on a zero-sum game. The Quad is based on a free and open Indo-Pacific. Now, there are also signs that Quad may try to contain the Chinese threat militarily as well. Just days before the Quad summit, the world was greeted with the unexpected announcement of the Australia-US-UK Defence Agreement, also known as AUKUS, where the US and UK will now share nuclear-powered submarine technology with Australia. And the agreement does not stop at submarines, but also covers cybersecurity, AI and sea and air launch missiles. In short, it significantly increases Australia's military capacity in the Pacific for the next few decades. Now, Quad members have been very careful in stating that the alliance between the four countries is of quote-unquote like-minded partners dedicated to advancing a common vision and to ensure peace and prosperity. But in the context of Quad, does the new military alliance between US and Australia overshadow Quad and dilute the impact the summit would have had? Akshob Giridharadas, Vezan. I'm glad you asked that because, you know, August took the world by storm and came out in last week in September between 15 to 17, and the fact that the Quad Summit's now happening on the 24th. So it's definitely, in some ways, some would think of it as a sword of Damocles hanging over the Quad. But no, I, I actually argue it's very different. In some ways, it's given the Quad more impetus because what it's done is clearly demarcated the roles. The Quad almost is saying we're not a military alliance, we're not an Asian NATO, we're not meant to counter any one party. And AUKUS is very firmly a military trilateral pact between three Anglophone countries, three of whom are members of the 5i. The other two, of course, Canada and New Zealand are very similar in their DNA of not engaging in, in the same way. So uh, what, it, what, what AUKUS does, does two things. Right? One is it brings Britain closer into the Indo-Pacific. Uh, and the second thing what uh, AUKUS does is it, it allows the sale of high-powered nuclear submarine technology to the Australian Navy, uh, largely from the U.S., uh, and uh, of course, we know that this meant uh, there was a fallout from France, which of course is another issue altogether. But what does this do right now? The AUKUS is very firmly a military alliance. And some would argue that you needed AUKUS in a way that the Quad didn't, because the Quad was still focused on a very constructive economic engagement. Uh, I think this kind of bifurcates and relieves the Quad of not having to scream that they are not an Asian NATO. They can continue. Military exercise and military drills are by far routine, they're normal. There's a lot of war gaming that goes on. There's the International Military Defense Expo. There's many such things. It only gets a little more pugnacious when you strain to international waters when things are provocative. Uh, so I think in that sense, I don't think AUKUS is meant to overshadow the Quad. Uh, you've seen that uh, uh, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin uh, spoke to Defense Minister Rajnath Singh and, and spoke about uh, you know India's uh, commitment for Afghanistan and spoke about how AUKUS and uh, the Quad are not two sides of the same coin. Uh, but different India says, look, there's nothing to do with AUKUS. And furthermore, it really helps India because India's foreign policy sacrosanctity is based on strategic autonomy, right? So this means securing an Indo-Pacific from strategic partners, Australia, UK, the US are strategic partners. Um, you know, there's also the fact that from India's own perspective, after what happened in Ladakh and Galwan Valley, uh, and China, don't forget, long before that, China had a string of pearls theory around the Indian Ocean. We're building client states, you know, Hambantota, the port of Sri Lanka, 
We know about CPEC in Pakistan that, uh, that you know, runs through a Gwadar port. We know about client states in uh, Myanmar and Bangladesh and somewhat the Maldives. So it's been an encirclement tra trap some ways for India. And the Indian Ocean now has become such a priority naval water body. Uh, because if you think about, you know, what uh, even leading thinkers in the space have said, uh, back in the day, decisions on sea affected matters on land. Today, matters on land affect matters on sea. And the Indian Ocean now is one of the, the most prime water bodies, almost on par with the Pacific uh, in securing those waters. And I think getting, having an AUKUS go about you know, securing and helping secure free and open Indo-Pacific, uh, it behooves India's interests uh, without India having to get involved. So I think it's a win-win situation for India in some ways. On the first day of his visit, Prime Minister Narendra Modi has reportedly eight events scheduled, ranging from meetings with CEOs of Adobe, Qualcomm, and even a meeting with US Vice President Kamala Harris. On 25th September, he's also scheduled as the first speaker at the UN General Assembly. So tune into the Quinn's website and social media channels to follow the story. If you like listening to this episode, please subscribe to The Big Story for episodic updates. We're available on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, GeoSavan, and most of the other popular podcast streaming platforms. For other podcasts, please log on to the Quint website. And for any feedback, please shoot an email to podcast at thequint.com. Thanks for listening. Log on to the Quince website and check out our other podcasts.